You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. Well, today's sermon is titled, Who is Guiding You? Who is guiding you? That's something that is so important for us as Christians uh, to, to recognize the sources of input that are directing our lives in our decision-making. That's what we're going to be touching on. I want to start off just by sharing with you guys from a recent news article that I read a few weeks ago. And it, it says, Interest in witchcraft waxes and wanes. But it is waxing again, particularly among young women, says Helen Berger, a professor at Brandeis University, which has been studying witches and pagans for 30 years. So right now in America, witchcraft is waxing strong, this article is talking about. And if you think that all of this witch talk is fringe thinking, just something that you know doesn't really affect us here in Paris, Texas, well, you're wrong. A 2017 survey from the Pew Research Center found that, uh, or it examined New Age beliefs in America and found that 40% of respondents today in America believe in psychics. And another 40% believe that inanimate objects, such as mountains and trees, are also imbued with spiritual energy. Hence, the big crystal necklace craze, or whatever you want to call it. It also found that 33% of Americans believe in reincarnation, and 29% of Americans believe in astrology, and 60% say they hold to at least one of the New Age beliefs. 60% of Americans holding to at least one of the New Age beliefs. Well, in our message today from the Word of God, we're going to find that witchcraft is often turned to for guidance and looked to for healing and, and, and spiritual guidance in people's lives. In fact, even Christians can fall prey to this temptation of a need for guidance in their lives. And when God doesn't seem to answer, when God doesn't seem to be close, hey, you'd be surprised what people will turn to. Even within the church, Christians looking to things that uh, are not condoned by Scripture. Where do you turn? when God doesn't speak in your life? Where do you turn for direction when you need to make decisions and you just feel like, man, God isn't really there for me? Well, our theme today in 1 Samuel 27 and 28, these two chapters combined, is seeking God for guidance. You see, for the Christian, the Bible is explicit that the, those, those that are children of God should be seeking God through the Scriptures and through the Spirit of God, that we're to turn to Him, and that everything that we receive as guidance, it needs to be checked with the Word of God, right? It shouldn't contradict God's principles and truth. So that's what we're going to get into. And I'm not going to read chapter 27 today. We're actually just, I'm going to ask if you would summarize it on your own time. Uh, and, and that's just to save time so that we can get through these two chapters. But really the overall theme of the chapters is still the same. It's seeking God for guidance. So there in 1 Samuel 27, we see David is making decisions without seeking the Lord. There in verses 1 through 4. David is making decisions on his own. If you notice there in verse 1, it says that David said in his heart. And then he goes on to have a conversation with himself. Anybody ever had a conversation with yourself? I, I know I have. I, I, 
I tend to talk to myself quite a bit. Don't tell anybody I said that, but I do. And David talked to himself a lot. If you ever read the Psalms, he's always saying things like, bless the Lord, O my soul. Who talks to their own soul? Well, David did, okay? And, and, and it's okay to do that. It's okay to, you know, sometimes you got to just grab the soul and lead it, you know, and go, okay, we're going to bless the Lord right now. But listen, David said in his own heart, and then he goes on to make a decision that removes himself from a problem there, verses 1 through 4, which is Saul cont- continually pursuing him, continually coming after him. So, so David says, you know what, I'm going to eliminate that problem from my life. I'm going to move on down to the Philistine territory, to the enemy territory, and I'm going to live there. And that will eliminate my problems. But listen, David doesn't have the ability to know what the future consequences for that decision are going to be. Seems like a simple decision, right? Got a problem. If I do this, it eliminates the problem. We're good. So many of us do the same thing. We, we, we do. We make logical decisions based on what will bring us the most comfort in life. Our flesh tells us what it wants. Make that problem go away. We make the logical decision to, that, that seems to be the easiest way to achieve that desired result, and then we go. But the problem is that what our flesh wants is not always what God wants, okay? What our flesh wants is not what God wants necessarily. How do I know that? Well, let's base this on the Word of God. If you've got your Bible this morning, turn it over to Romans chapter 8. We're going to read verses 6 through 8. Romans 8, verses 6 through 8. Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to also put the verses on the screen. Don't be mad at me if you're turning there in your Bible, okay? Just keep turning there. I just want to put the New Living Translation on the screen so that you know what I'm reading from. But here in Romans 8, verses 6 through 8, we read the following. It says, So letting your sinful nature control your minds leads to death. Sounds fun, doesn't it? But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Now, if you're a person that writes in your Bible this morning, I'd love for you to make a star out on the side in the margin and just write spiritual principle next to that star because this is a powerful spiritual truth that applies in your life every single day. You see, so many of us go through life making a lot of important decisions based on the flesh or natural logic or what seems to naturally seem to be the right thing to do. It's exactly what David did. He said in his heart, you know what, I've got a problem. Saul keeps coming after me. He's making life real hard on me. I'm going to eliminate the problem by making a logical decision to move down to another territory. Little does David know that that decision is going to come back to bite him. It's going to put him in a spiritually compromising situation. We're going to look at that in a minute. But here's what we need to learn to do. I've shown you from Scripture that if we just rely on the flesh our our natural self to make these decisions in life, it can lead us into problems. So what do we need to learn to do? Well, the scriptures are also very clear. In Proverbs chapter 3, 
verses 5 through 6, if you want to turn over there, and you can again make a star in your Bible, and you can write Romans 8, 6 through 8 there, kind of like a cross-referencing system, letting you know that this is how we, these two principles really go hand in hand. But Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 tells us this. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. I love that. I love that God is a God who communicates to those who trust him. To those that seek the Lord, and you acknowledge him in your ways, and you say, Lord, I trust you to help me make the right decision. And I'm also trusting you that if I make the wrong decision, you'll kind of steer me back to where I need to be. That's trusting the Lord. And the Bible tells us, God promises us, hey, if you'll give me that part of trust in your life, I'm going to make sure you get on the right path. I'll, I'll show you the right path to take. So guys, as human beings, we don't know all the long-term consequences of decisions we make. That's why it is so important to trust the Lord. We need to be a people that learn to seek God's will, acknowledging Him in all of our ways. Because, guys, if we depend on our own understanding, we'll see that, like David, we can be led into serious consequences in the long term. And just because it seems to be a logical decision to make in front of us, it, and it helps us to eliminate a problem for our flesh, listen, that doesn't necessarily mean that's the Lord's will for us. We need to pray. We need to acknowledge the Lord in those decisions. Now, we continue there in Chapter 27, next we see David making friends with the enemy and accepting favors. That's verses 5 through 12, and I'm just going to summarize them. Now David makes friends with King Achish, and after he cozies up to the Philistine king, he kind of asks him for some land of his own. And, and the king there says, okay, I'll give you Ziklag. Ziklag is a small country town. You can have that, David. In fact, uh, that land is uh, still part of the inheritance of the kings of Judah all throughout the Old Testament, that little area in Ziklag. But David now becomes beholden to Achish. Why? Because the Philistine king is granting him a favor by giving him land. And you guys know the old adage that says there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? Everybody heard that? No such thing as a free lunch. Well, same thing here. King Achish might seem like he's giving away free land to David, but we know that he's going to be calling in the favors pretty soon. And that's the thing here that we need to understand. When we get cozy with the enemy, when we befriend the enemy, we're going to have trouble later on compromising our spiritual position because, hey, those friendships, those favors, they're going to be called in. They're going to be, uh, we're going to be asked to do things that we're not uh, in a position, spiritually speaking, to be doing. And that's where we pick up the story in chapter 28. If you'll skip there to 1 Samuel 28 now, verse 1. And it says, about that time, the Philistines mustered their armies for another war with Israel. And King Achish told David, you and your men will be expected to join me in battle. Very well, David agreed. Now you will see for yourself what we can do. And then Achish told David, I will make you my personal bodyguard for life. Wow. So things are starting to get real deep now for David. He, he's, he's put himself out there, and now he's going to be asked to uh, join an army of his enemies, killing his own people. 
And, and more than that, this, this Philistine king says, hey, David, beyond that, you're going to be my personal bodyguard. And I'm going to keep my eye on you. And I'm going to make sure you're killing Israelites. So it's getting, it went from bad to being worse. Listen, that's what David's alliance and favors that, that's what happens when you make those alliances with the enemy and, and, grant, and, and accept favors, receive favors from them. David is now expected to serve in the Philistine army. He's at a point now where it's going to cost him. I mean, this is ludicrous when you think about it. That's not exactly what the Lord had in mind for David's life. He, he didn't have in mind that David was going to be a part of the Philistine army and a, a bodyguard for a Philistine king slaughtering Israelites. No, David was supposed to be the king, the shepherd of Israel, who was leading and guiding them and bringing them abundant life, not taking life. So let's remember the big picture here that we've covered so far. Not trusting the Lord, not seeking the Lord and His will first, not acknowledging Him in your decision-making process. Hey, that can lead you into being in situations where you're asked to compromise your principles. There's a saying out there. It says, sin will always take you further than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay, and keep you longer than you want to stay. And I think that's such a true statement. Guys, we don't know the long-term consequences of the decisions that we're making. You could be getting invited to a party that you go to where there's a temptation put in front of you to partake in a certain drug or perhaps to drink alcohol and you're under the age or, or you know, a lot of different things, uh, maybe a, a, a sensual situation. And, and just by you being at that party and making a choice at that party could change your life forever. You don't know the long-term consequences of your decisions. That's why it's so important here that what I'm saying is that we bring God into the decision-making process. You get that invite to that party and you say, well, I need to pray about that. What? You got to pray about it? That's weird. No, no, I just do this. I, I pray about everything. I bring the Lord into my decision-making. Oh, Okay. And then you begin to pray about that, and, 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 and then you follow what the Lord is putting on your heart. Maybe you go with another brother or sister in the Lord that can keep you accountable while you're at that place. I don't know. I just know that we need to involve the Lord in our decision-making process. There's no decision too small. There's nothing too light. There's, it, it, it's just not worth it. We don't know the long-term consequences of what we decide and so, guys, we've got to realize that and, and bring the Lord in. That's what David, this is the lesson David's going to learn through this story. Of course, we have the, the uh, advantage of hindsight, right? We can read ahead. We see where this is going to take him. But listen, for you and for me, we need to start right now just making a spiritual principle of our lives to bring the Lord in to those decisions and not just make logical decisions without praying first and asking the Lord, hey, Lord, I'm trusting you with this. And even if I make the wrong decision right here, Lord, I'm trusting that you'll bring it back and, and put me in the right place where I need to be. All right, we get now to the setting of the story in verses three through six. It says, meanwhile, Samuel had died and all Israel had mourned for him. If you remember, we covered that last week. It says he was buried in Ramah, his hometown. 
Now, if you remember, the reason that's being mentioned right now is because Samuel was Saul's main go-to guy for communication from the Lord. Whenever Saul needed to know what the Lord wanted him to do, he'd go to Samuel. But Samuel's gone now. And it says, And Saul had banned from the land of Israel all mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead. The Philistines set up their camp at Shunem, and Saul gathered all the army of Israel and camped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the vast Philistine army, he became frantic with fear. He asked the Lord what he should do, but the Lord refused to answer him, either by dreams or by sacred lots or by the prophets. Now, I'm going to tell you why the Lord refused to answer Saul in a few minutes. But first of all, notice that Saul is seeking the Lord, but it's too late. The time to seek the Lord has come and gone for Saul. Now, if you'll remember, back in chapter 15, Saul had a relationship with the Lord. In fact, in chapter 12, we saw how Saul and and the Lord, they they were walking in a relationship together. But something changed in Saul's life. You see, he rejected the Lord's word, which led then to rejecting God's uh, command. And that act of obedience of not doing what God wanted him to do in chapter 15 led to a habit in Saul's life. He sowed a, a, a thought. It became a, uh, a habit. That habit became his character. And that character is now reaping a destiny in Saul's life. Okay, That's what's happening with him. Now, Saul lived a life that was filled with pride and disobedience. Even his motive here for seeking the Lord is not right. And this is is tied into why the Lord doesn't answer him. You see, Saul's motive for seeking the Lord was not so that he could repent and change his ways. Saul's motive for seeking the Lord here is simply he's frantic and he's fearful because he sees the Philistine army. And he's thinking, man, these guys are coming. They're about to take me down. They're going to kill my family. God, what do I do? Show me the way out. And guys, again, this is a great opportunity for a lesson for us this morning. The application for our lives as Christians is that, hey, we don't seek the Lord simply when we're in trouble. (laughs) We, We need to check our own motives for why we're seeking the Lord. You know, I know so many Christians that when things are great with God, oh man, God is great, God is good, but there's no real motive to seek Him, right? But then when things begin to go south because we live in a world that's cursed, And either through sickness or through somebody else's sin, somebody else's evil against us, man, we get hurt. Then suddenly it's like, well, I need to seek the Lord. But even in our seeking of the Lord, the motive isn't pure, right? The motive is just like, oh, just Lord, just get it back to how it was before. When I had peace and comfort and everything was just the way I liked it. And and, and that motive right there can can be the, the reason why maybe God doesn't, you know, answer you in that moment is your your motive is just to oh god just smooth it over just make it okay again get me back to that peaceful situation and place that i was in but listen these verses that we're studying this morning also talk about spiritists and mediums and i want to explain what those are a medium is a person who communicates with the dead Sort of like a spiritual guide, but for the dark side, okay? We'll put it that way. Now, normally, communicating with evil spirits uh, or or a medium or a spiritist, that's going to be someone that, you know, they're trying to contact the dead. But in reality, what the Bible teaches us is they're contacting demons. Satan is the father of lies. He loves to deceive 
the way that he deceives these people is by allowing the demons to impersonate dead people. And so these spiritists and mediums, that's what they're contacting, is uh, evil spirits. And mediums, we know, were banned by the Torah, or the first five books of the Bible, the, the Pentateuch. And I'm going to show you from Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 through 14, those scriptures, okay, so that you can see them there with me. Look at the screen. It reads, when you enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you, be very careful not to imitate the detestable customs of the nations living there. For example, never sacrifice your son or daughter as a burnt offering. And do not let your people practice fortune telling or use sorcery or interpret omens or engage in witchcraft, or cast spells, or function as mediums or psychics, or call forth the spirits of the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. It is because the other nations have done these detestable things that the Lord your God will drive them out ahead of you. But you must be blameless before the Lord your God. The nations you are about to displace consult sorcerers and fortune tellers, but the Lord your God forbids you to do such things. Now, very quickly, note that word sorcerer there. That word in the New Testament is the Greek word pharmakeia, which is where we get our word pharmacy from. And, and what these sorcerers would do is they would use potions, they would, uh, you know, plant-based potions, they would mix them together to get a desired effect, take them, and it was basically like drugging themselves to get into a trance-like state in which they would contact evil spirits. And these evil spirits would kind of, you know, direct them and things like that. And, and so, guys, it, there's a very serious correlation with sorcery and abusing drugs, Okay, abusing the, the, the chemicals and the plant life that God has given us, human nature, when we abuse those things, we're putting ourselves under the control of evil influences, evil spirits, okay? It's very serious, so you need to understand that. And, and the Bible does not condone that at all. Seeking direction or guidance from evil spirits, opening yourself up to their influence is not only condemned by Scripture, it's extremely dangerous, because you're opening yourself up to demons. I'll always remember hearing my dad share his testimony with me. My dad was saved after an encounter with a demon in his life. As he was deeply into uh, Eastern mysticism and transcendentalism and meditation and all of those sorts of things. And he told me that one day as he was there in a trance, a demon appeared to him. And began to converse with him. And, and my dad was so scared by that, he ran back to the church that he grew up in and realized, hey, evil is real, demons are real, and I need to be right with the Lord. This stuff is not something that we can dabble around and play with and open ourselves up to. Okay? That's the problem with a lot of us here in America is we have this nonchalant attitude towards those things. And we just kind of go, ah, you know, no big deal. No, no, no big deal, Phil. And, and we can dabble in these things, playing with things that could open the doorway to uh, destruction in our lives. We need to be very careful. And so Saul, here in his fear, he decides to seek direction through that very means that he had declared to be unlawful, and that was witchcraft. He uses witchcraft now for guidance in verses 7 through 19. Let's read it together. It says, Saul then said to his advisors, find a woman who is a medium so I can go and ask her what to do. 
His advisors replied, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself by wearing ordinary clothing instead of his royal robes. And then he went to the woman's home at night, accompanied by two of his men. I have to talk to a man who has died, he said. Will you call up his spirit for me? Are you trying to get me killed, the woman demanded? You know that Saul has outlawed all the mediums and all who consult the spirits of the dead. Why are you setting a trap for me? But Saul took an oath in the name of the Lord and promised, As surely as the Lord lives, nothing bad will happen to you for doing this. Finally, the woman said, Well, whose spirit do you want me to call up? Call up Samuel, Saul replied. When the woman saw Samuel, she screamed, You deceived me! You are Saul! Don't be afraid, the king told her. What do you see? I see a God coming up out of the earth, she said. What does he look like, Samuel asked. He's an old man wrapped in a robe, she replied. Saul realized it was Samuel, and he fell to the ground before him. Why have you disturbed me by calling me back, Samuel asked Saul. Because I am in deep trouble, Saul replied. The Philistines are at war with me, and God has left me and won't reply by prophets or dreams. So I've called for you to tell me what to do. But Samuel replied, Why ask me, since the Lord has left you and has become your enemy? The Lord has done just as he said he would. He has torn the kingdom from you and given it to your rival, David. The Lord has done this to you today because you refused to carry out his fierce anger against the Amalekites. What's more, the Lord will hand you and the army of Israel over to the Philistines tomorrow, and you and your sons will be here with me. The Lord will bring down the entire army of Israel in defeat. Now, very quickly there in verse 19, I want to explain this to you. Uh, Sometimes uh, Christians have questions about this, but when Samuel says, you'll be with me tomorrow, it's not because Samuel was uh, in hell. We know that in the Old Testament, uh, those who died, their souls, after they departed the human body, were held in a place called hell. Sheol, the Hebrew word is Sheol. In the New Testament, the same place is referred to, but it uses the Greek word for that place is called Hades. Hades and Sheol are synonymous terms for the same place. They just, it just means the place of the departed soul. So when the, when the human uh, soul would die before the cross of Jesus Christ, their soul would go to the, the holding place of the dead, which was Sheol or Hades. And that's what Samuel says. He says, hey, you're going to be with me tomorrow in this place. Okay, so that's the, 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 the gist of verse 19 right there. Now, we know that after the cross, after Jesus Christ died, his spirit ascended and he proclaimed good news to those that were captive and he led the captives, their, uh, their souls to heaven, right? He, he uh, took them out. Now there are still people there or their souls are there waiting the day of judgment. In fact, all who die today without Christ, their soul goes to the same place as they await the great white throne judgment, Revelation chapter 20. Uh, you can check it out there. That's when Hades gives up the dead and they're judged at that time. Now, um, that's getting into a whole nother batch of Bible studies that we could do. In fact, you just need to take Ronnie Groom's eschatology class, which we had in our school of discipleship ministry last year. Those of you that missed it, excellent class. We cover all this kind of stuff. Great place to learn about uh, hell and Hades and Sheol, which are uh, Hades and Sheol is one thing. Hell is something else. All right. 
let you study that on your own. Let me give a quick explanation, though, of what is going on in verses 7 through 19. A quick interpretation. The witch here went about her normal ritual to communicate with demonic spirits of the dead. She thought she was doing something normal here. However, in the process, we see that God intervened. God intervened and allowed her to uh, uh, really raise Saul, Samuel, I'm sorry, not her, but God actually raises Samuel from the dead. And I'll explain why in just a minute. But I believe that God is intervening here to communicate with Saul one last time and to rebuke Saul for his sin. Now, Samuel seems to actually rise from the dead, but we know that the witch couldn't do this because humans and demons do not have the power to raise people from the dead. See Luke chapter 16, verses 24 through 27. Jot that down. Luke 16, 24 through 27. And also Hebrews 9, verse 27, if you want to do some study on your own. Those are some verses that talk about that. So it had to have been God who allowed Samuel to rise from the grave. Now, if you noticed, the witch herself is surprised here. (laughs) She screamed when she saw that Samuel was actually coming up from the dead. Wasn't the normal thing, in other words. Let's also remember that God condemns witchcraft. He does not condone witchcraft. So this passage is not a supporting passage condoning witchcraft. But God performs this miracle in spite of the witch, not because of the witch. You see, God didn't need her. But he is using this occasion to rebuke Saul for his sin and, I believe, to warn him one last time. Samuel really does seem to rise from the dead here, and he does speak a true prophecy that is fulfilled later on. So he is, through the Lord, able to tell the future. And all of those are reasons that lead us to the conclusion that this was an exception to the rule. What do I mean, exception to the rule? Well, normally, spiritists and mediums are communicating with demons, not actual people, okay? Again, it's important to understand that difference. Now that leads me back to the main theme for today. The main theme is who is guiding your life? Who are we seeking out in our lives today for guidance, for healing, for things in our life that we need? Well, witchcraft is alive and well today. In fact, it is thriving in America. Witchcraft When I say witchcraft, let me define that. I'm referring to the worldview, the religion, and the practices that are associated with using rituals that harness or focus cosmic or psychic energy to bring about a desired change. That's what witchcraft, that's the definition of witchcraft. Now, within the witchcraft revival movement, the largest subset of witchcraft in America today is called Wicca. In fact, some, evident, or some estimates conclude that 2000, or by 2017, there were some 3 million adherents or practicing Wiccans. Anybody ever heard of Wicca? Some of you have? Okay, actually several of you have. Now some of the things that are associated uh, with Wicca practices, they're kind of hard to define, okay? Uh, I, I did learn something a little bit in my research this week, is that a lot of pagan practices are included in what is defined as Wicca. So it is really hard to define who is a Wiccan and who isn't. Some self-identify as a Wiccan. Others just do certain things that would qualify them as Wiccans. 
But what are some of those things that are associated with witchcraft today that Christians would look to for guidance? I want to talk about some of those things in my message today as we come to the end. And before I talk about these things, let me just say this. I'm not an expert in any of these things, okay? So I want to encourage you, if I speak about something that you are not clear on, do some research on your own. I would also encourage you to be a Berean, and that means to search the scriptures for yourself. Um, Because some of the things that I'm going to talk about are certainly gray areas that you may have Christian liberty to do. And, 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 you know, it's not going to stumble anybody. As long as it's not stumbling a brother or sister, you have the liberty to do that. I understand that. But some of these things I'm going to talk about are, are clearly not okay, okay? And I just want to put that out there. And, and again, just remember, I'm not an expert on these things. So also want to put it out there that I'm not trying to take pot shots at anybody, okay? I'm not trying to, uh, you know, um, take a pot shot from afar off. If anybody would like to communicate me with me through email, you can do that through our church's website. And I would love to communicate via email if you have a question or a comment about what I'm talking about today. But first thing I want to bring up is Ouija boards. Playing with a Ouija board is engaging in occultism. And that would definitely not be an option for Christians. Anytime that we're seeking wisdom apart from God, and especially when that involves calling on familiar spirits or you know, spirits of the departed, that's clearly forget, forbidden by the Bible. And a lot of people can think, well, and, and a Ouija board is just an innocent thing. It's a game. It's really not, um, you know, it's really not what it, it, it says it's supposed to be. Listen, I, I would just say this. Satan is the father of lies, and he would love to deceive you. <laughs> and any way he can, he would love to get a doorway into your life. And so this could be one of those ways, and I just really think you got to be wise and not, not mess with these things and not go around them. Don't even give them the time of day in your life. Because the enemy has fooled many people into thinking that they're communicating with spirits or friends or family members when really they're in contact with demons. Is dangerous. Uh, another thing I'd like to bring up this morning is a practice called Reiki. Okay, Reiki, and these are all things within the last couple of years, several years that I've I've kind of have been brought to my attention. But Reiki, that's R-E-I-K-I. That's a healing technique technique that's based on the principle that the therapist can channel energy into the patient by means of touch to activate the natural healing processes of a patient's body and to restore physical and emotional well-being. Now, some of you guys are going, this doesn't sound like something that's a problem. But listen, anytime that someone's channeling energy, that's a red flag for me, okay? That's not something we see in the Bible. If you're channeling something, it's probably not the Holy Spirit, okay? It's probably a different kind of spirit. You need to be very careful about that. Now, some of you uh, might be wondering, why are you bringing this up? Well, this is something that's happening in some of the churches today, where some of the ministries are going, hey, let's get together. We're going to do a Reiki thing. And they might not call it Reiki, but that's what they're practicing is these, these energetic, positive confession. We're going to, you know, do some things and, and, and have positive energy heal you, okay? That sort of thing. It's, that's out there, guys. And we shouldn't be associated with that as, as Christians. We've really got to be careful there. The third thing I'm going to bring up, and, and again, this I don't know a, a whole lot about. I'm just, this is something that for me has raised a red flag, and I want to share it with you. Because this is my job as an elder in the church, okay? I'm to warn the church about things that could be leading to uh, uh, 
or opening the door to things that are not healthy for the church. I'm to protect the church. That's all I'm seeking to do here. Um, as I share this with you again, do some research on it yourself. But it's called Sozo. A Sozo session, I'm going to read this from the website. It says, a Sozo session is designed to provide Holy Spirit-led wholeness and freedom for the Sozoi. Those are, that's a Greek word that means deliverance or salvation. It is in the Bible. Sozo requires the presence of a mediator or guide who is trained to walk sozoes through a time of prayer and reflection that is supposed to facilitate intimacy with God. That, that's the big red flag for me. Christianity is simple. Jesus said, come unto me. He didn't say, come unto me through a mediator or a spiritual guide. Okay, that's, that's where it's off, okay? And then it goes on. There's some other things. It says, the facilitator guides the sozoe through an ascent of the father ladder in which the sozoe is encouraged to visualize God and speak to the image of the Lord created in the mind's eye. This is followed by identifying various doors that have allowed sin to enter one's life, closing them, sealing them by the blood of Jesus. Obstacles to the, prom- uh, to the process are identified as walls that must be torn down. When a door is closed or a wall is demolished, the sozoe is told to give a single clap of the hands, supposedly to help disengage the lie that had taken root in his or her mind. Past hurts are explored as various rooms of the mind are opened and searched. Sozo practitioners even claim to track down spiritual wounds acquired in the womb. Okay, so something that happened in the womb. Um, Of course, guys, none of that stuff is biblical, okay? It's not biblical to do those things. Uh, We don't see this kind of a huge process laid out to find healing. The good news brings healing. Belief in Jesus brings healing. Now, this this particular thing, Sozo, it's it's, uh, originating, well, started in Argentina, but was picked up by Bethel Church in Redding, California, and again, I'm not taking pot shots. I, I love to worship with some of the songs that come out of Bethel. They're great songs. But this just seems a little bit off to me. It's a very experience-based uh, ritual. And the problem with experience-based Christianity is that it leads to shallow, superficial Christian relationships, guys. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. The Bible teaches us that. So as an elder in the church, I just want to warn you of these things. Be careful. I'm not saying like it's of the devil or it's, you know, if you've ever done it, it's wrong. I just think you need to be very careful. You need to um, do some praying and thinking about it, okay? Another thing I would just really quickly bring up, ghosts and aliens, popular TV fodder in our day. A lot of people like to talk about them. They're very sensational, Right? I I honestly, truly believe those things are related to demonic activity, okay? The Bible tells us, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2, that Satan is the ruler of the kingdom of the air, okay? And so if there really are aliens out there, guys, I think they know where the White House is, and they can knock on the door and make contact with our government anytime they want to. But they don't do that because they don't exist because... Satan loves the fact that people are distracted by them and running around and, you know, uh, you know, pursuing all of the stuff that comes along with them. Some of you guys are like, is this guy serious? Yeah, I am. <laughs> Sorry. I really do think it's demonic activity. We can talk more about it later via email if you want. One thing I want to just add at the very end would be touching um, uh, some other practices that have been asked about as a pastor. Um, yoga essential oils, aromatherapy, things like that. Uh, essential oils, if you don't know, it's the application of plant-based extracts for topical and respiratory medication. 
Those things in themselves are not wrong, I don't think, guys. It's when they're combined with unbiblical practices that they become wrong. Uh, with things like yoga, if you're purely using that for stretching and strengthening muscles, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think a lot of it has to do with your instructor, maybe. If your instructor's making more of it than just a physical exercise, well then, yeah, you need to pray about it. But, but a lot of these things we do need to pray about. And that's the point. Don't rely on me saying, hey, this is okay and that's not. That's not what I'm up here for. I'm up here to remind you we have an active relationship with Jesus Christ. He's given you his Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit wants to guide you. And so don't be like David, who's making decisions based on logic and going, hey, this seems like it'd be okay, so I'm going to go do it. Hey, we need to pray about it. We need to pray about these things. What are we opening ourselves up to? A couple of quick resources for you. Uh, first of all, this, this website, alwaysbeready.com, you can jot that down on your notes, alwaysbeready.com. Uh, I would provide that to you as a resource. I know the pastor. He's very biblically based and balanced, um, and he has a lot of articles about all the things we've been talking about today and links to other sites that talk about things in a healthy, biblical way. Another uh, resource I would give to you guys would be gotquestions.org, gotquestions.org. And you can go to that little search engine there, type in the word sozo, it'll bring up an article about that issue, or reiki, um, whatever you want to type in, it'll, it'll, uh, most of the issues they have covered. Now, I want to close this morning's service by asking this question. Where are those of us who know Jesus Christ to seek guidance from? I would love it if you would turn in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19, in the Word of God. <clears throat> Scripture is so clear, guys. For those of us that are children of God, where are we to be seeking guidance in our lives? Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19, says to us, Someone may say to you, let's ask the mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead. With their whisperings and mutterings, they will tell us what to do. But shouldn't people ask God for guidance? Should the living seek guidance from the dead? Look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict his word are completely in the dark. I love that. People who contradict God's word, God's instructions, his teachings, they're completely in the dark. It simplifies everything. We're living in a time, guys, when people, including people in the church, are willing to seek guidance from many different sources. But let's learn a lesson from the life of Saul today. Let's seek guidance from the Lord our God. Let's look to his instructions to his teachings and allow Jesus Christ himself to guide us in our lives, to change our behavior, to guide us as we go and make decisions in our lives. In fact, Jesus Christ himself told us he's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the way. When you need to know which way to go, Jesus is the way. Go to him. When you, need to know, when, when you need to know what to do, you go to Jesus. In him is truth. He's going to give you that truth. And then when you practice the truth, guess what? You're going to find abundant life. 
He's the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray.